back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We're presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, we have someone incredibly talented uh, and way above my pay grade. So I'm going to read off his bio and then tell you a definition that is important to the episode. But really, he does a great job in the episode and you're not here for me and Ryan today. So let's get into it. So as the president of private mortgages, Curtis Power is responsible for private mortgage operations within KV Capital. This includes ensuring that the company's continuous building of a robust deal flow pipeline. Curtis works closely with mortgage brokers and borrowers and uh, leads KB Capital's private mortgage teams that offers competitive and private loan structures, as well as delivers on dual investment objectives of capital uh, preservation and provides consistent returns for investors. Curtis holds a Bachelor of Commerce with a major in accounting and is a CA accountant, and he got that designation before they merged the two. Uh, He's an incredibly smart guy, and I had a thousand questions for him, and I tried to keep up as much as I could. (laughs) Curtis has spent a total of 20 years in the financial services industry. His experience is numerous business, including reinsurance, energy, and private lending. He is in progressive development in the industry and has led to a variety of accomplishments, which most notably being the participation and leadership of the growth of KV Capital from approximately $30 million to $150 million in asset management. That is crazy. They have seen insane growth, even from the time that I got introduced to KV Capital about four years ago. Curtis plays a great importance on going the extra mile to understand KV Capital's borrowing real estate projects and financing needs, and follows through on commitments providing high-quality service at everything that he does. When he's not working, he spends his time learning, playing sports, coaching soccer, and spending time with his wife and his four beautiful boys. So the one definition I have for you all is straight from Google, because I don't know what I'm talking about, but Curtis knows what he's talking about. Uh, So it's called mezzanine financing. It's a business loan that offers repayment terms that are adaptive to a company's cash flows. It's a hybrid of debt and equity financing, similar to the debt financing that you need for cash flow to repay the loan, but with repayment terms that are more flexible and conventional uh, than conventional debt financing, which really means, like infill, everything needs to be a little bit flexible, and mezzanine financing seems like a great opportunity. So, with all that said... Don't listen to me anymore. Let's get into the episode. So our guest today, we're very excited to have Curtis Power, who's the president of private mortgages over at KV Capital. Curtis, welcome to the show. That's great. Thanks very much, Ryan. Appreciate uh, appreciate the invitation and uh, thrilled to be here. Yeah, we are very excited to have you on as well, because we don't often talk about financing and development. Um, for me personally, it's a very scary topic. Uh, numbers and that kind of thing are, are very scary, but it's important. Um, nothing happens without it. So I, I, we want to talk about a lot of things today, the deals you make, how they get made. Um, but first, I want to start, how did you get into this uh, this world of lending and finance? It actually started, I'd, I'd probably say, a, a long time ago. My uh, my dad happens to be an accountant 
And so accounting was sort of my first, my first uh, passion, we'll call it. And it was always one of those things that just seemed to click for me. So for some folks, uh, accounting and finance and numbers, you know, it's, it doesn't come intuitively. And for me, uh, it certainly, it certainly seemed to. I cut, I cut my teeth in, in really in the finance space uh, through a job that I had with uh, Ernst & Young in Bermuda, uh, specifically working in the reinsurance industry. And uh, first time I had exposure to risk, uh, risk management, certainly from a finance standpoint. And, um, and the thing that's interesting about finance is that it's, it's a unique product in that it's really just a piece of paper or a contract. Uh, so it's very different than a lot of other businesses. And uh, I found it just very interesting. So um, through, through work as an accountant, working on files that were in the finance industry, that's really how I started getting interested and involved in the finance space. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. So coming from a, a line of accountants in your family, the games of Monopoly around the kitchen table must have been pretty crazy. Did you all fight over who got to be banker or? Yeah, actually, that's very astute. I would say that I was uh, spent a lot of time playing Monopoly when I was growing up. So okay, that's, uh, that's that's a good that's a good analogy. Yeah, that was that was definitely played in the power household. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and the uh, working in Bermuda. How did you end up in Bermuda? Uh, just through, there's actually a lot of can, uh, Canadian and I'll say more specifically accounts in uh, that, that train in Edmonton or Calgary that end up in Bermuda. I don't know what it is about Alberta, but uh, it's a great funnel for accountants to Bermuda. And we had a number of friends head out there and and it just seemed like a great place to go and work for a few years. And the island was much more sophisticated than than I had expected. I thought we were just going out there to have a, a good time and, and uh, find some, I'll call it, interesting work uh but it's it's an island that uh, is actually in the one of the top destinations in the world for for kind of high finance uh certainly for reinsurance it's next to i think it's second to london for insurance market and uh it's one of the top hedge fund markets in the world as well which i didn't know before going there so likewise i just found out about that right now um it it, it helps that you worked for uh like a big four company like ernst and young as well i have a friend that did the same thing as you he started off as ernst and young in winnipeg as an accountant and then almost immediately transferred to san diego where he currently lives and likely will never come back you came back how come you came back yeah it's a it's a great question we ended up coming back because bermuda is a great place to live but uh we were just having our first, we our, our second son was just born and we uh, decided that it would be good to be close to family for for the kids uh, for raising the kids and uh, so we came back really for family reasons more than anything else that's super exciting so two of your kids are actually born in bermuda yeah yeah and uh, they don't you don't actually get citizenship there i think you have to live there until you're 18 to get citizenship so they born there but they don't have any standing there so they're canadian citizens Okay. Yeah. I wasn't going to double check that, but that's good that you pointed that out. Uh, <laughs> between, uh, so between your, uh, your, your school working in Bermuda and now, what kind of jobs did you really enjoy doing that uh, kind of molded where you are now? I would say, I mean, from, from school, I would say it's really the roles in the different accounting positions that I've had over time that, that have really formed, formed the basis for what I do today. I uh, worked for Ernst & Young for eight years, and uh, when you work in that environment, you get exposure to a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, files, uh, issues, all sorts of companies that are thriving and successful and those that aren't. Um, and like I say, you get exposure to energy, insurance, um, healthcare. So it just you really get to see a lot of different uh, environments. 
And you get to see what works and what doesn't work uh, through just kind of multiple different iterations of different files and, and that. So I'd say working both at Ernst & Young, I worked for my dad's practice as well uh, when I was going through university and for a short stint um, when we came back from, from Bermuda. And, uh, you know, saw a lot of different small business files, medium-sized business files as well. And, and uh, so it's really just a lot of different exposure uh, through those roles. So you've been working at KV Capital for some time now. Uh, it's primarily known for its private lending opportunities. Uh, can you share with us and those listening the pros of both traditional and private lending? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's and most of the guests are, are listeners on, on this podcast to be obviously quite familiar with traditional lending. Uh, we call it bank bank financing or conventional financing. Really, the, the, the aspects of that type of financing uh, that are, I'd call it the pros, like you say, would be it tends to be very low cost relative to other sources of capital. The lenders in that market are established. Uh, so you've got established lenders in the market. And they have presence in multiple markets. So if you know if somebody's dealing in Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, across Canada, you know that lender is in all of those markets. If it's a bank, uh, we do have excellent banks in Canada, and and so through their kind of numerous branch locations, they also offer lots of different products, uh, products and services to their customers, uh, deposits and investments and mortgages. So they they can provide a lot of different services. And I would say probably the other pro with the banks is that that their loans and their financing programs are standardized products. So they look very similar to, regardless of which bank you're at. Um, so so those those would be the the primary pros. And then for uh, private lending. So private lending is it's almost it's almost the opposite uh, to some extent. What I what I would say is. Is when you're when you're working with a private lender, especially an experienced private lender, um, typically what you're going to find is you've got, I would say, highly specialized staff. So most of our staff are are both will have an undergraduate degree. They'll oftentimes have credentials in finance as well. Uh, we've got uh, folks that from a legal background that work with us. So so lawyers. Um, we've got qualified appraisers that have worked with us in the past. So you're dealing with folks that have oftentimes had several years of experience. So I'd say we've got very specialized staff, um, but probably the biggest, the two biggest aspects of private lending that are really the reason why we exist is speed and, um, and just customized lending. So, so the bank's uh, lending programs will, will be, I'll say, largely cookie cutter. It's formulaic and it needs to be because it gets replicated across the country and it gets delegated to thousands of staff that need to then implement those lending programs whereas for KV or for any private lender you know we make our own credit decisions and uh, and so we can also work quite quickly so for conventional lenders especially for the larger deals you know borrowers will have to wait necessarily to get credit approval sometimes from Toronto and whereas for for private lenders like ourselves we make the decision in-house and we can make the decisions quickly. And, and for our borrowers, that's really one of the keys is, is customizing the, the program that it fits their projects and, uh, and do, doing it quickly. So I, we talk to our borrowers daily and, and uh, so they, we hope they get great service and that's probably the same in private lending. What, what I should say though, just while we have folks on the call, private lenders actually covers different types of lending. Like, so we, we focus on largely construction, land development, land acquisition, financing. 
So we're in the, I would say we're a commercial private lender. Very few of our borrowers would be, for example, a homeowner. Um, but there are other private lenders in the, in the market that really lend exclusively to homeowners. Uh, so homeowners that maybe can't qualify for a mortgage. So that's different. That, that's different from what we do. Uh, we, we are lar- largely servicing uh, commercial clients, uh, companies that are in the real estate space. So with the ability to be faster and be more agile and flexible to uh, your clients' needs, are developers and builders taking you on site to show you like what their vision is for kind of more exciting projects that might be a little bit um, out of scope of traditional uh, banking? I don't know if we see too much that's out of scope of traditional banking. I mean, what I can say is our borrowers love showing us their projects. They love they love having us walk the dirt with them. Uh, they're very proud of what what they're working on. Um, it takes a lot of energy to to, to build anything, to be honest. And uh, so we get uh, we love we love walking sites with our borrowers. Oftentimes, the things that don't fit in terms of a a real estate asset that doesn't fit. Uh, Conventional lending very well. Oftentimes, it'll be like the really high-end homes. Uh, banks are pretty reluctant to lend on really uh, high-end homes. Certainly, uh, certainly on the construction aspect of those properties, uh, they're also reluctant to lend on land that needs uh, servicing uh, to some extent, especially in smaller markets. So, so you know, you know, major markets like Edmonton and Calgary, you know, you can typically get conventional lending, I'll say, with certain terms, and sometimes they're restrictive. But as you go to some of the smaller markets, that can be more difficult. Yeah, I just know um, sometimes for infill projects, I've heard members say like it can be hard to get investors from out of province because they just don't have the vision of where Edmonton is going. And I, th- I'm, it must be just a benefit to have you to be able to go walk on site and and learn and hear right from people. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. The, the I mean, the, there is a certain reluctance from from lenders that are headquartered outside the province to lend, even even sometimes in Edmonton, depending on what the project is. Um, so yeah, I can see that reluctance. That's that's one of our value adds, I should say. You know, just being a local lender, um, I think our borrowers appreciate that. So an idea, I feel like I'm always busting myths of what infill is and isn't and the benefits and cons. Um, do you often get questions around um, myths that are out there about private lending? So I, I don't get the questions, but I do think there may be reluctance by some people to explore private lending based on those myths, if that, can, if that makes sense. So by the time they're talking to us, I would say generally they are comfortable or aware of what private lending is and what that looks like. Um, but, but I do think it might prevent some folks from looking at it. And I, and I like to describe it as it's, it's a financing tool that all real estate developers and builders should have in their toolkit. A number of our clients use both conventional financing for, for certain product and they'll, they'll use private for other, other aspects. Sometimes they'll start their project with private financing solution and then and then, as and when the bank is ready to fund, uh, they'll take our pay, they'll pay us out or down with with bank financing. So we're just a different tool in the toolkit for for developers and builders. So you've been doing it. I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier for about ten years at KV. Mm-hmm. Um, why originally did you join KV Capital? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It actually goes back twenty years to some extent, depending on how you look at it. Um, so KV's founder is Aleem Varani, 
And uh, he started the company, I want to say he started it originally in 2006, but it really became a private lending firm in about 2009. Um, I'd actually, uh, Liam and I went to school together back in the, I'm dating myself, but back in the late, uh, late 90s, uh, right at the beginning of the 2000s there. And uh, he, he's one of those people that's a very, very stand-up person. He's very intelligent, very trustworthy. I was sort of, I was in the space actually as a CFO with a different private lender that had just left and I was looking to go and start my own uh, fund. And uh, Aleem and I reconnected at that point in time. So that was in about 2013, I'll say 2013, 2000, yeah, 2013. And uh, I was going to pitch him on an idea and he said, well, listen, you know, he said, we're kind of growing, uh, you know, would you like to, why don't you come work with us? And, uh, and it was a pretty easy decision to make, to be honest, we think very similarly and, uh, it was a great opportunity then. And, and, uh, it's been a great experience and, and I uh, love being here. Yeah. So I'm going to give a super random plug, uh, to Aleem. Him and I don't actually really know each other at all. Um, but my husband grew up playing ball hockey a few years younger than him and was, very involved in his hockey career um he just he watched him he was like he's the greatest he was like did you see that goal did you see that play and i was like i don't know this guy i don't know what you're talking about um so that's really the only thing i had, I had known about him before i got connected with kp capital so i had i had heard the stories because i've had other people tell me as well he's a pretty pretty uh phenomenal ball hockey player and uh, so it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I have heard that he's quite good. I've never, I, I've never played ball hockey with him, uh, so I, sh I should actually do that. It's, it's just that you're probably, I don't know, third or fourth person that's mentioned it for sure. So yeah, I, uh, I've always seen him play a couple times when uh, my husband and I were first dating, and I'm not even sure that uh, he ever got to play with him. But I know like that was on his like list of people that he really wanted to play with that's just like a random plug and he will have no idea who i am or why i'm saying it i i, I don't want to out Aleem, but uh i'm sorry to say that he's actually a vancouver canucks fan so uh, oh don't, no uh, don't, hold, don't hold that don't hold that against him so uh back in the spring uh you and i and some of your team members had talked about different types of financing, uh, different projects that KV has been able to do, especially as like the past 10 years of development has kind of grown and evolved over in Alberta and in BC. Uh, what are the types of projects now are you seeing come through the door? Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting question and, and we can maybe get into it a bit later as well, but uh, a lot of what we're seeing right now is loan applications for multifamily projects where because the interest rates have changed so much the borrowers uh, need to inject more equity or capital and so what they're actually looking for is mezzanine financing which is really just you know they'll get their conventional financing loan from the bank but they need top-up financing on, on over and above that because the debt service coverage ratios of the banks are, are being impacted by the uh, the changes in the interest rates uh, so we're seeing a lot of that and actually we're seeing that not just in Alberta, but we're seeing that coming from other provinces as well. Uh, we have been growing, so so we are starting to see more deals from out of the province, but that's certainly a, a lot more prevalent today than we've seen in the past. Uh, certainly as it relates to infill, we're seeing a lot more infill in Edmonton uh, than we have in years past. Uh, Calgary, I want to say Calgary infill was maybe a little bit more active 
um, was, was more active, I'd say five, five to 10 years ago, maybe during that sort of time frame. Uh, but Edmonton, there's like, you don't have to, I live in an infill neighborhood and you, you don't have to drive around too much to see, uh, you know, demolition, you know, old, old, uh, old homes coming down and, and uh, new product coming to the market. So certainly infill. Uh, and then I would also say townhouse projects. I think, I think uh, Western Canadians are maybe getting a little more accustomed to sharing, sharing a wall um, instead of always having single family product to live in. I think that's maybe a change that starting, we're starting to see. Uh, but those, those would be the major, major changes or the major things that are kind of on our radar right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. I feel like your company, uh, LM's company, has grown quite significantly over the past 10 years. Do you remember kind of like where you started to where you are now? Yeah, well, I know. So I wasn't here back in the day, but I know Aleem said when, uh, when he and Farhan, they started basically two companies sort of at the same time. They started the home side of the business for Canby that Farhan looks after. And then Aleem got started with Canby, KV Capital, sorry, with, uh, on the finance side of things. And they, they both run their businesses independently. But it seems to me, I think the story goes that it started in a, a garage of a, they were, they started their operations out of a garage of one of the show homes. And, uh, and, and by the time I had joined, I would say KV Capital had approximately 10 employees thereabouts, plus or minus. And we probably had about 30 to $40 million of, of capital under management. Uh, today we're about five times larger than that. So we've got close to 50, 50 employees, I want to say, and we're managing call it, depending on how you count it, but we're, we're, we're managing well over $200 million of, of capital at the moment and, uh, and growing, we've been growing probably at about a rate of 20% a year, uh, just kind of year over year. So, so it's been a, it's been a good growth rate for sure. You, you touched on it a little bit, but um, it's one of the hottest topics out there right now, inflation and interest rate hikes and everything. But how, how are they, how are those kind of like macroeconomic factors impacting um, the types of deals that you're making? Yeah, I, uh, it is changing, I would say, um, for sure. What's, what's, what's happening for us is we're starting to see and do deals where they might have otherwise been conventional deals. Uh, so, so deals that the banks banks typically price their mortgages at prime plus one, prime plus two space. Uh, whereas in the past, we were probably more like, especially, I mean, prime's been so low for so long, but we were, you know, probably in the prime seven range, prime plus seven, maybe sometimes prime plus eight range. And uh, we've compressed our spreads. We're, we're dealing with, we're also dealing with more, I'll say larger and more sophisticated borrowers, I would say now. We, we, we actually run the full range. I would say we, we finance builders that build, you know, say a couple homes a year, all the way up to projects that, uh, that run where the project size is 50 plus million. Uh, so we've got a pretty broad range in types in terms of the types of deals we're doing, but we are seeing more deals that were, that are closer to the bank, uh, in term bank type deals in terms of risk. Um, so it's opening us up to being more competitive. So the rising rate environments help make us more competitive. I mean, prime right now is 5.95. Uh, so you're at six and you add, you know, you add your one or two points to that. And for conventional financing, you know, you're at seven to 8% uh, just with bank rates. So we're becoming more competitive in that regard. Um, but it's, it's really early in this interest rate uh, environment. Like, I don't think, 
there are very few of us in the space, uh, really, the, 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 you know, the folks that were around in the 80s would have certainly seen high rate environments. But it's been a while, actually, I, I don't know if it's, it's certainly more than, I want to say it's more than 20 years or more that, that rates that the prime has been this high. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a new world. I, my personal opinion is it's going to take time for the impact to work its way. We don't really know what the impact's going to be at the moment. It's, it's taking time to work its way into the system. Um, it's, it's applying pressure differently to different people. Some people are still on fixed rates, so it's not really affecting them, uh, whether it's, uh, um, yeah, uh, property, particular property owners, uh, that are on fixed rate programs. And so as those roll, that'll, that'll start affecting more people. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. The, uh, that's interesting also to hear about the, you know, it makes you more competitive in these times. It's almost like maybe you, you're hoping that this stays the way it is. And inflation keeps going up or yeah i didn't think about it that way uh i i wouldn't want them to go up anymore to be honest i, I think if there's a sweet spot uh prime at uh say a four or five is uh, is probably a a good number and i don't know if that's uh just sort of thinking on the fly um but i i think i do think if rates go too much higher and even potentially at these rates i do feel like it's too much too soon uh for folks to be able to absorb on say cash flows and and just managing managing projects. I mean, really, what the what the market and the economy needs is you know stability, and uh, the, the the pace of this change has just been. It's actually the fastest interest rate hikes. Uh, I think they've tracked it next to the previous three or four interest rate hikes, and this is the fastest by far in terms of the the speed of the change. So, for sure, I actually uh, I own a property with a private lending mortgage and made the decision a couple of years ago when I refinanced to go variable. So I've got a letter coming in the mail, like legit, a couple times a month over the past like six seven months, being like, "Hey, uh, rates going up. Hey, by the way, rates going up again." And it just keeps, seems to be like every couple of weeks, I'm getting this like notification letter. So um, that, that is very interesting, though, that you're able to, you know, maybe because you're in a competitive position here against the traditional lenders that maybe you're getting some more clients that uh, wouldn't normally have gone the private lending route. Um, are you feeling like you're getting a few more of those or? So I don't I don't tend to think that we compete too uh, directly. I don't think we compete directly with the, the conventional lenders in the sense that I think what they offer is just different than what we offer. Um, so it's, it's, if, if we're getting a deal that if we're getting a deal, oftentimes most, most borrowers will try and go a conventional route first. And it's only when the conventional option's not available or if it's not available period, or it's not available fast enough is really when the private solution is, will make sense and where they'll come to us. But uh, I, would, I would say generally we're not competing directly with the banks. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, are there any other kind of uh, high-level global things that impact um, your ability to finance or, or anything that you would look at? Like, you know, a lot of our um, industry members at IDEA, they talk about the supply, chain, the supply chain really impacting their ability to deliver projects on budget. But do any of those kind of global considerations impact financing at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually. And we see it, we see it actually every day. I saw it this morning dealing with it on a project, I would say, and it's something that all of our borrowers are contending with supply chain has been an issue. Uh, it's, it's sort of varied or changed over the last couple of years in terms of what particular, which particular products are being impacted by the supply chain, but certainly uh, lumber was impacted for a period of time. Um, heating and mechanical systems seems to be uh, certainly something that's been impacted and it's sort of worked its way through 
the supply chain issues has worked its way through a number of uh, building materials and products. Um, so that's definitely affecting it's affecting our borrowers first and foremost, and then it affects it affects us. Of course, the supply chain issues are leading to uh, to increased costs, and and so when we're going into projects, you know, it's not uncommon for us to see five, ten percent, twenty percent cost overruns now because the costs have escalated. I was I was on a site this morning with one of our one of our borrowers, and uh, and he was explaining that uh, that the prices are changing very you know very quickly. You can have something on order. And uh, really, you just have to take whatever price is available at that time. And if you're a builder, you know, everything has to happen in sequence. And you're almost willing to pay, you know, you, you pay what, whatever you need to pay to, to get the materials so that you can keep your project going. So it's, it's a tough place for, for folks to be in. And hopefully, hopefully uh, the supply chain uh, matters ease up. Um, I mean, it's uh, the market needs to figure it out. You know, if uh, if there's lots of if there's big margins to be made in whatever the products are, you'll have more people competing and coming into that space and, and bringing supply on, and, and hopefully the market helps sort that out. But yeah, it's been a challenge. It's it's first time for me. So like I say, I've been I've been doing this for with KV for ten years, and and supply chain issues is, is really a first thing, first time that's that's come up in, in that time. Uh, so Curtis, you mentioned that, uh, you, you do some work in Calgary and Edmonton. What, what other markets are you working in? Yeah, sure. So we're, we're right now, we have people in, in, uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, we recently uh, brought somebody on board, uh, for Ontario as well. And I would say that's, that's kind of where our, our folks are located. We've got, uh, I would say coverage, really, really good co- coverage across Western Canada. So right now we've got a lot of relationships with the brokerage community and borrowers, uh, builders and developers in in uh, BC in particular. I would say BC has really been a market that we've we've noticed uh, has been very successful for us over the past, I would say, two or three years in particular. wasn't really on our market uh, as much before, but certainly Kelowna. Uh, Kelowna has just exploded over the last couple of years. Uh, if, you, and if you guys have looked at uh, real estate prices out there, uh, it's one of those things where you wish you'd bought a long time ago. Um, but, uh, certainly Kelowna, we're looking at projects in that on the island, Vancouver Island, and, uh, certainly seeing projects in Surrey, Burnaby, uh, Vancouver from time to time. And then, and then Winnipeg and Regina and Saskatchewan. So yeah, we've got pretty good coverage in, in the major markets in Western Canada. And then we're, we're slowly kind of working our way out, out East as well. Yeah. And are these markets fairly similar or? How do they differ or how have they been impacted differently or the same as what we were just talking about? I would say Alberta probably is, 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 uh, is somewhat different in the sense that our fortunes obviously seem to fluctuate with, uh, with sentiment and with, uh, with the oil and gas industry. Um, interestingly enough, you know, there's some folks that, uh, and I have a hard time understanding it, but there are some folks internationally that don't want to do business in Alberta, uh, which was a surprise to me because I always think that, uh, Generally speaking, we're, we're well-regulated. Uh, we've got a great legal system. Uh, it's a great place for investment. And uh, I think our oil and gas industry has, a, has good operating practices. And, and, uh, and so that was a bit surprising. But um, so Alberta would I was kind of say on a bit of an island. Edmonton and Calgary will fluctuate at different times depending on what the economy is doing. Calgary tends to be very hot right now. Uh, I think, which which tells me that there's a lot of project coming down the pipeline. Usually the earlier stage stuff ends up in Calgary first. So 
I'm assuming that means that folks are hiring in Calgary, but the, the real estate, especially in the residential space, has been very strong. Industrial has been very strong in Calgary. Uh, Edmonton's been probably a little bit more, more flat, uh, but, but actually reasonably good as well compared to, say, the, the run 24, uh, 2015 to 2019. I think Edmonton's doing uh, fairly well also. So high correlation there to the oil and gas industry for Alberta. BC is really going to be uh, you know, impacted by flows of foreign capital and uh, I would say immigration probably to a significant extent. Uh, Kelowna, I think, has just gone, gotten very busy because the, you got folks that are, as I understand it, folks that are, that are having a difficult time affording living uh, in the, the greater Vancouver area, uh, as well as, as probably folks from re, uh, Alberta that are retiring. Or, or, and I'm hearing a lot of Ontario buyers have been looking at the Kelowna market as well. So just a, maybe a more affordable place to retire. It's, I mean, it's a great place to be. So, uh, so Kelowna seems to be its sort of own unique thing right now. Manitoba and Saskatchewan are we we don't do as much in there. So I would say we, you know, as as we see deals there, I can't really comment on the the change in the market. Those markets, in my mind, just tend to be fairly static. Um, you know, decent performers and and fairly static. They don't have the same volatility maybe as some of the other markets that we see. So seeing deals change over time for the past five years in those different markets, uh, what types of projects are you seeing uh, come through the door? Like, are you seeing more multifamily? Are you seeing more industrial? Uh, how are you seeing redevelopment happen? A lot of what we're seeing right now, especially in, in BC, in the BC markets, uh, I'd say a lot of it's, it's residential product and a lot of it is townhouse. And I, I just think that the single family home is probably becoming unaffordable for many. Like I look at the, the values and the prices of these properties, you know, to get a decent sized single family home. I was in Kelowna not too long ago and it just seemed like, let's say the average, but maybe it's the average home is pushing a million dollars or, you know, almost close to a million dollars, $800,000, that sort of thing. So I think a lot of folks are, are looking for, you know, townhouse type product, condo type product. And uh, because that's what's affordable and maybe, maybe that's all people need. Uh, I mean, certainly density, we talk about it from, from an infill standpoint, certainly in Edmonton, but density is great for, great for cities. You know, we see, we see higher density. We talk about it from time to time in Europe, certainly than we have in North America and you get density, you can make your cities a little bit more walkable. So I think, I think a lot of the municipalities are all, are focusing on densification um, just in general. So that, that's probably why we're seeing that trend. I guess. So yeah, you're, so you've seen the the cities focus on it, and the deals are kind of following suit. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and developers are going to build the product that that uh, that's economically viable to to build, and where the demand is. So it's, uh, I mean, demand will, demands will change. Uh, you know, market demand will change over time, but but certainly, like I say, we talked about it just a little earlier about the rising costs. You know, the what, what builders can can build now for for the same dollar is very different today than it was you know five or ten years ago um, so it's, it's almost becoming probably a necessity as well yeah so being a little bit biased and loving Edmonton uh, have you are you seeing like certain areas of the city or certain things where uh, it drives development like certain neighborhoods or around certain schools transit uh, good question um i think there's always a there's always going to be a a draw to strong areas like i always i'm certainly noticing the amount of activity that's in the oliver neighborhood uh you know there's been 
a fair bit of growth there and development there. I was down there not too long ago, actually for the idea function. And uh, I think I saw it was just there were two cranes in the sky within within a couple blocks alone. And uh, those are projects that have been, you know, obviously by the time you've got a crane in the air, those are projects that that folks have been working on for probably a couple of years, you know, before, you know, acquiring the land, getting the permits and getting that done. So Oliver seems to be quite active in my mind. Uh, you know, you're still seeing a lot of development in the south, the south side of the city, the southwest. You know, every time you drive there, it's uh, it's pushing out quite a bit, certainly with the Hende. Um, southeast, southwest. Um, we financed a project in the northwest too, so it just seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? I know, we, you know, I think immigration, what I am noticing is we're seeing a lot more out-of-province out of license plates. I don't know if that's it, that you guys have noticed the same thing, but uh, it's been a while since you've seen the out-of-province license plates, and they're certainly, you know, certainly here now, which is great. Uh, means Alberta is a, a place to, to to raise a family or to get a job, or uh, you know, we're attracting folks from other areas. Yeah, I feel like on the road I see it all the time. Apparently, Alberta is calling. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, and it's not it's not a small surprise. I mean, like I said, townhouses. We're looking at a project right now in BC, I'll say lower mainland, and it's not it's not Vancouver proper. It's one of the, the, the secondary markets. And the, the you know, townhouses are running this this project is going to be going out at a million and a half per townhouse. Million and a half, a million seven a townhouse unit. And they're not they're not massive town townhouses. And that's uh, that's secondary market. And you know, back to the comments in Kelowna, like it's not uncommon for us to see residential product product in those markets going for upwards of a thousand dollars a square foot, you know, in Cal- Calgary and Edmonton, we're nowhere near those numbers. And, uh, and salaries and average, average incomes are, 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 are stronger, um, uh, certainly in Edmonton and Calgary than they are in many of these other markets. So Curtis, I've learned a little bit about your world. I'm curious to know how much you know about our world. How, how familiar are you with zoning and how much does that impact, uh, your financing work that you do? So the, the good the, the good news, I guess, maybe to some extent, is that I'm not I'm not intimately familiar with the changes to the zoning and and plugged into the the ins and outs of zoning. I mean, we certainly see it on our projects. So I mean, all of our all of our borrowers and developers they need you know the required zoning for whatever the project there is, and they make the applications for the zoning changes uh, that they need for their projects. Um, but I don't have to. I don't have to sweat about it as much as they do. By the time it comes to us, oftentimes the zoning's in place uh, for for the intended purpose. Uh, what I can say is that uh, I mean, zoning is actually what makes certain projects economical or not. And uh, if the city wants to see, I mean, all all the cities in Canada generally are are trying to make affordable housing available for people for families, and um, and so getting the zoning equation right is really important. Um, so I can say, I can say from as, as a lender, the city has a major impact on the, the, the pace at which housing product or any kind of product, commercial, whatever, comes to market based on how efficiently and how organized their zoning process is. Um, I, know, I know folks in Edmonton, some builders in Edmonton and developers will, will, will struggle and, and you could, they can never probably get the zoning fast enough. Uh, like a, it's probably, you know, if it was immediate, then that would probably be fast enough. But in some cases, uh, um, I think that's always going to be maybe a pressure point. What I can say is, uh, compared to the say of Vancouver or some of these other markets, Edmonton seems to do a fairly good job. 
um, on 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 the zoning front, on the zoning side of things. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not as informed in terms of the uh, the ins and outs. Certainly, I'm, I'm sure all of the zoning changes are being designed. Maybe you can tell me, but are being designed to increase density and uh, you know change the type of housing product that's available. Uh, I live in an infill home, and and uh, like garden suites are obviously is you know something that's very common, uh, are becoming much more common. Even just driving around the neighborhoods, we're seeing a lot more garden suites. I've talked to some of the builders that build those, and they'd like to get the cost of garden suites down. We finance, for example, you know front back duplexes, fourplexes, uh, so we're starting to see more applications for that. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe just for the listeners, uh, any, anything that you want to make sure folks know about the zoning that, uh, that this lender can't, uh, that this lender can't cover? No, I think you covered uh, the important parts. Timelines are crucial, obviously. So that, that is one of the things that I think the city's trying to kind of address in the new zoning bylaw is um, adding that flexibility. And so it limits the amount of rezoning applications that have to go forward that would delay lenders like yourselves being able to both give out and recoup some of your your finances so i like that you talked about like you're hearing about timelines from your clients uh and the impact that has on them yeah it's always a pressure point and uh, if the city really wants to the city can make a big impact by getting that 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 done properly the the builders will take care of everything but uh but you know to do that they need they need the support from the city on the zoning so driving around Edmonton, I see your signs popping up all over the place. Uh, I'm sure you have a few favorite projects uh, that you've recently financed in Edmonton or in surrounding areas. Um, is there something that you could share a bit more like in detail with me? I, I drive past it, but I don't know what, <laughs> what some of your favorites are. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that's very, uh, so 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 by and large, we, we try and we try and keep fairly low key. I would say we want it's it's a bit of a, a trade off. We want we want folks to be aware of us so that as and when they need us, you know they they know where to you know we're visible and we're top of mind. Um, but we don't want to be in I guess I'm not too visible, but is the right word. But uh, so it's it's a bit of a balance. But certainly we've got a we've got a project that's by West Edmonton Mall that we're financing. Uh, it's a it's, it's a decent sized sign, so folks that are by West Edmonton Mall will, will probably have driven past it a few times. Uh, that that's an interesting one because it's a it's a hotel or long term stay uh, property with with commercial aspects to it as well, and um, I mean I think West Edmonton Mall is one of those areas that's exceptionally busy, and um, and I get the sense that you know, there's a lot of folks going there, and I think this project's going to do great, and uh, and and it, it's I think it's a total of 48, 48 uh, suites. And uh, so just to bring some more housing stock on uh, for that and some more commercial space, making that available as well. You know, we're proud to be associated with it and it's, uh, it's in a great area. Uh, so that's a commercial project that we're pretty thrilled to be involved with. The, uh, on, a, on a more of a single family level, uh, maybe at a province, one that's, that's, let's say, unique or interesting is we're financing a project uh, out on Vancouver Island uh, in the area of Souk. Uh, we had a marketing uh, promotion with the borrowers uh, permission um, on that site and their townhouse stack townhouse product. They're building it out of concrete. Uh, the views are amazing. Um, it's uh, for folks that like to be part of nature. It's and still be comfortable. It's uh, it's a great project that uh, our borrower has been working on for decades. Um, we, we, we just got into the project. I want to say 
maybe getting on two years ago now. Um, but you can imagine the, the process of getting uh, permits and, and, and building out, out on the island, uh, especially more remote locations, can be a bit, bit challenging. Um, but it's just it's beautiful product and uh, and it's really one of a kind. So so that one's been an interesting one as well. That's really cool to know. Like you're doing small scale projects, you're doing commercial projects. Um, I believe you're also doing some like larger scale projects as well. We arranged for so one of our groups arranged for the financing for a. It's I can't remember the number of units. Put me on the spot a little bit. I want to say it's it's 150 units in in downtown Edmonton. We're funding part of that 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 mortgage as well, along with a conventional lender. It's kind of a first uh, uh, first second mortgage scenario, uh, but it's under construction now. It's actually one of the cranes that's up downtown, and uh, so we're really thrilled to be associated with that one as well. It's the uh, Mercury Block, actually, is what it's called. Yeah, Edgar Developments, and uh, they've got a great they've got a great project coming out of the ground, and I think I think it's going to do really well. One of their other projects, it seems to me, was the McLaren, which was uh, just a couple blocks south. Uh, beautiful building. They they build very nice product. I remember Stephen Mandel at one point said, and maybe I'm characterizing it poorly or taking it out of context, but I just the quote in my mind is was something like "No more ugly." Uh, and he was talking about real estate in Edmonton, and and I think you know you got a lot of developers and builders in Edmonton now that are uh, that are building some really nice, compelling real estate projects and, uh, and Edgar Developments is doing that with the, uh, with the Mercury Block. Yeah, hundred percent. I, uh, I was fortunate enough to go on a tour of uh, the McLaren building uh, from Henry himself. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And the thoughtfulness that him and his team put into saving the brick and the, some of the facade. Uh, and then also things just like where they put their garbage and how people accessed it. It's like those types of things that you don't think about until you move in and then you realize how important the location of garbage really is. You know, it's, uh, and, and when I say de developers like walking us uh, through their sites, it's always their attention to detail that they're the most proud of. Uh, like the folks that really care about what they're building, um, you know, the thought that they've put into all of those elements and, uh, and I think even even for the Mercury, you know, they're taking elements or they're being inspired by other projects they've seen in other cities, as well as just no doubt from the input from their architects. So uh, for those looking to get into private lending options um, and maybe they're medium scale, small scale, larger scale, uh, what are the types of clients that you look to partner for? That's a great question. Uh, so we find we find that real estate development and construction is is. Uh, Obviously, it requires a, a tremendous skill set. When we're looking at deals, we really like clients that specialize in a certain product type. So, so for example, a, a townhouse builder that that's that's that knows the issues of, of what it takes to build a townhouse project, or if somebody's building high-end homes, uh, they're they you know they're accustomed to dealing with the high-end home customer or clientele. Uh, where we find things can be really challenging and I understand why folks do it, but a lot of builders or developers will start, you know, maybe building single family homes and then they'll migrate to say to townhouse product and then to, to condo product and then maybe to commercial. And I can understand why they want to move into different product types. You know, it oftentimes depends on the opportunities that they see. It'll depend on the, the types of margins that are there. Uh, but that's also where we find folks run into trouble. Interestingly enough, you know, even even a single family home builder, if they're building price point product, 
and they try and build a high-end home, the customer is very different, the approach is different. Um, and so you think that those would be very transferable skills and they probably are, um, but it is a specialty in and of itself. And so we, we love clients that are specialized like in a certain product type and that's what they know and they sort of stick to their knitting. And that's not to say that we won't finance groups that, that are trying to do something different. Uh, we will, but, uh, but oftentimes we'll, we'll want to make sure that, that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they know what they're doing and they've got the right team in place to, to make that leap. I mean, ultimately we want, we want our borrowers to be successful, of course, and, uh, better for them and, and also better for us. Yeah, it's really interesting. People may not know, like once you start stacking three units on top of each other, uh, there's significant building code implications. Once you go above four units, uh, there's des different design requirements. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know why I would have never thought that like, if you're building for a different type of clientele, it's a totally different ballgame as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, there's a lot of things that are just unknown. So people make assumptions and then they find out when they get into it that, wait a second, you know, like you say, building codes are quite a bit different or the professionals I need to involve on this project are very different, or maybe the trades need to be different. Uh, the building materials are changing. Uh, so there's a lot of variation that people can encounter when they're going between different, uh, different types of projects for sure. Yeah. And I think that's something that the industry is kind of like, uh, working through right now as we build uh like the the homes that infill is building they're way more energy efficient uh and airtight than the homes were 30 40 years ago but we also have way bigger goals that we're looking to accomplish in the next 10 to 20 years and finding the right trades and like knowledge building is a huge part of making that that transition yeah it's a process for sure yeah yeah, I know so many people are just like, well, let's just build more energy efficient or let's include solar panels everywhere. And I'm like, that's great. We need to make sure everyone's trained to do all of that. <laughs> well, trained for it and and, uh, and that it's also affordable too. You know, you, you really want, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real balancing act to try and get the product that the market needs and also the product that the market can afford. So, yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, are you seeing more projects come through the door that they're looking for uh, net zero or solar panels, things like that? Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, we're 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 involved in a financing program for uh, for a builder out of Calgary in this particular case, and uh, it sounds like they're one of Western Canada's leaders in uh, net zero projects, and I think that's a it's a competitive advantage for them, and uh, I mean if the consumer is demanding it or asking for it. Um, I have to think that the builders will start, you know, providing it. And if nothing else, yeah, if it's either net zero, but, but the bigger thing is probably net zero ready. Uh, so at least you've got the rough-ins and the, 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 the framework in place for, for, for people that do want to spend the extra money or make the investment into, uh, into uh, energy efficiency or uh, green, green initiatives, uh, that, that that infrastructure is in place. It's it's a trend that's not going to reverse. Like you just have to say it's it's expense it's expensive to be wasteful anyways, and the cost of being wasteful alone is is uh, is probably going to become more of a factor. So yeah, a few episodes ago, uh, we had an architect talk about building um, building homes for like the ability to age in place, so stacking closets and stuff like that. Um, so like aging in place is going to be it's it's important and. 
energy is efficient is important. It's all these little things that unless you're like in it day to day, you're not thinking about. Yeah. And the customer doesn't have time to think about all these things, really. Like think about all the things that we buy. You know, we don't really want to think about what it takes to you know, build a computer or, or uh, do a lot of, you know, a lot of the features and things that, that we need every day or rely on every day. The consumer just, you know, ideally you can just deliver to the consumer what they, you know, you've thought thought through the issues, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, talking about stacked buildings, you know, how are you managing sound soundproofing or, or sound management? Um, and uh, yeah, back back to your comment on the McLaren, I, you know, they just did so much. They spent so much time on the details that until you get in there, you don't appreciate that all the thought that's gone into it. Yeah, they say for every small scale uh, like housing project, a developer employs like 20 different consultants or subcontractors or stuff like that. And like, no, the homeowner doesn't need to know that. They don't need to know all those people. Uh, but all of those people are so important in the process. Yeah, yeah, it takes a, it takes a big team to get these things done. So thank you so much for hanging out with us for your afternoon. Before I let you go, I ask every one of our uh, wonderful guests uh, to do a call to action to those listening. So do you have anything that you'd like to say to our listeners? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, what I would want them to walk away with this from is, uh, it, you know, if you are a builder or a developer and you're listening, and uh, if you are looking for financing, uh, you know, we're an Edmonton-based, Edmonton-headquartered company, and we're we're keen to talk to you and about what we can do. Um, we'd like to be we'd like to be we'd like to be working with all of the builders in Edmonton, to be honest. Um, so, if you're looking for financing and you'd like a term sheet within a week or so, um, we'd love to talk to you. Thanks so much, Curtis. I know your information is on our website, um, but if anyone wants to get in contact with you, they can find me easily, and I can connect you too. <laughs> Have a great afternoon. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Mariah. Thanks, Curtis. That was a fantastic episode. I feel like I feel like there was a lot said that just went completely over my head. How about you? Oh, 100%. I am married to someone who talks like that, and I still was like trying my hardest <laughs> to keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if we could even fact check anything. I think he did a good job of, uh, of explaining everything there. But yeah, you and I are not going to be capable of carrying this conversation. Did Was Monopoly a big thing around your house? It was. I loved Monopoly growing up. Uh, but I think it's like I liked strategy more than the money part. There you go. What about yeah. you? Uh, yeah, I just liked being the little car that zoomed around uh the map so i don't really know if i yeah i I don't ever remember winning but our family did have big events but i was never the banker and to this day i can't be the i can't be the banker like trying to calculate change on the fly like forget it it's it's just not gonna work for me yeah i liked being the banker just because sometimes i sometimes people call me a control freak like i've I've heard that before So it's better when I'm not, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. That makes sense. Um, one thing that I found was kind of interesting was the private lending versus the traditional lending uh, discussion. And I have a small little anecdote about that. I actually, um, for my condo that I own downtown, it's uh, it's um, finance or private lending, which, you know, at the time I, I went through a mortgage broker and... Um, you know, I didn't fit into the box. I was young, so I didn't fit into the box at banks. So I had to go a uh, private lending route, and it actually worked out really well. There, I mean, 
uh, say what you want about mortgages just in general, but it, going through the process was really straightforward. I didn't even know that it was a thing, but once my mortgage broker brought it forward to me, uh, I got financing very easily. The website is very user-friendly. Um, I feel like they give me different advantages than I, that I don't get through a bank financed mortgage. So it was, yeah, it was nice to hear that this is kind of extending beyond just simply mortgages and, and helping our construction industry and development industry get off the ground with their projects too. Yeah. Well, they're probably way better communicators too. I know. Um, so our condo, we have like a condo and then a parking lot. And so they're separate titles in case we ever wanted to sell one and keep the other. Nice. And through our bank, uh, we, they're like, we'll take care of, uh, paying it. And like you pay us and then we pay it. We're like, okay, sure. <laughs> and me and my husband are both like to control things. So we weren't super excited about that plan. Uh, and the mortgage would get paid and for like three years in a row the parking stall would not get paid on time. So we were like, live. And we're like, what is happening? We had this conversation last year. So I'm sure that that has not been your experience. (laughs) No, it hasn't. I mean, I think it's kind of cool. And we can talk about like the unbundled parking spot. I think that's a cool little topic too, but that's for another day. Um, No, I've had nothing but good things to say about my, uh, my, my private London mortgage. Um, My conventional mortgage is still fairly new, so I can't really talk too much about that. But the user friendliness of the websites is really the biggest difference that I've noticed. Um, yeah, because this company that loaned me money, their entire business is mortgages. So they've made the entire experience very, very straightforward and easy for me. Whereas um, my RBC mortgage for my current property is just complicated to go through that crappy little website they have. So yeah, that's the only real note I have on it. Yeah, and it's like, even through the pandemic, uh, like where we bank with TD, like we still have to go and sign things in person. I'm like, what is happening? Why, why haven't we like evolved past this, at least for like small things? Um, but that's why we have private lending options. That's right. To be more flexible to meet your needs. There you go. <laughs> yeah, explore them. I hope somebody is going to explore KB Capital uh, after this episode. And also, if you and I ever have a game site in the future, don't play Monopoly with me. But if you ever want to play Monopoly Deal which is like the fast version of Monopoly and has no like actual money. Like they're all in the back of the cards. It is so much fun. I don't what? know if you've ever played that. No, I haven't, but that sounds yes. like it's made for a moron like me. That sounds perfect. Yeah. So instead of three hours that you'll play Monopoly for and like hurt people's feelings, <laughs> you can play Monopoly deal in 30 minutes. <laughs> it's so much more fun. And not ruin relationships. No, I have oh. not ruined a single relationship since we switched. Well, there you go. <laughs> Our next games night will feature that yeah. game for sure. All right. Well, before we go, I just want to say thanks to Frank. Uh, we met at a idea event recently, and he came up and said that he listens to both you and I and loves every episode. I think he got hooked on it maybe four or five months ago and has like gone back and listened to, I think, every episode. So thanks, Frank. That's excellent. Yeah, made my day. New idea member two, I believe, right? He is a new idea member two. There we go. For some reason... I don't know why I did it. (laughs) (laughs) To get a shout out here, I suppose. Yeah, it was was nice. I got to go see his office. Uh, His staff is lovely. Uh, He's an architect in the city. So if you're looking to get to know more idea members or become an idea member yourself, give me a holler. Sweet. Have a great day, Ryan. You too.